This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. Well, if you're like most people, you've often been heard to mutter the phrase, oh, my aching back, at least more than once in your life. Back pain is a very common complaint. And according to the Mayo Clinic, approximately 80% of all Americans will have low back pain at least once in their lives. Here with some of the common causes and treatments for this ailment is Adam Rufa, assistant professor in the College of Health Professions at Upstate Medical University and a doctor of physical therapy. Welcome, Dr. Rufa. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. So back pain is really common, and from what I understand, it's a common reason for either absence from work as well as a visit to the doctor. But while it can be very painful, is it generally very serious? Most of the time, back pain is a normal part of life. And as, as you stated, most people in their life are going to have back pain, 80 90%. And the vast majority of time, it's nothing serious, and it'll go away with little to no treatment at all. So when we talk about the source of the pain, let's help us understand, you know, whether it's the lower back or the upper back, what's causing the pain? That's actually a surprisingly difficult question to answer. Um, they've done a lot of research on trying to find what the major sources of low back pain are, and it's been really challenging. When they first came out with MRIs, it was, there was, everybody was excited because we could get a really good look at what was going on at the back. We could see the discs and we could see the muscles. And we started to find things and think that, that the disc herniation or that muscle strain was the problem. But then as we started to look at more individuals with, without low back pain, those same findings came up. So individuals had a high prevalence of disc herniations and degenerative changes. So it's but they really did been, not have the pain. Then they didn't have the pain. And it's been a real mystery what differentiates those people who maybe have a disc herniation and don't have pain from the person who has that disc herniation and does have pain. So it's really a it's really a complex question that we unfortunately haven't quite figured out yet. So is there a distinction though between pain that occurs in the lower back versus the upper back in terms of potential causation? There can be. And if you talk about the upper back, if we look way up by the shoulder blades in that area, it's, that's a much less common place to get pain. And it's a much more stable area because we have our ribs all attaching and it keeps the back from moving quite as much. And so you, you have less, uh, it's less common to have things like disc herniations and, um, and degenerative changes there. So it, it's, it could be more that it's muscle pain or, or pulling on some of the tendons. And in, the, and in the low back, sometimes we have more findings of disc herniations and degenerative changes. But again, we're not always, it's not always clear if those are what's causing the symptoms. I think that's very interesting. So I think that's hence why so many people, when they have back pain or they contemplate treatments, and we'll get to that in a minute, it's a really hard decision to make because, as you said, we're not always sure about the one-to-one -one relationship between structural findings, abnorm abnormalities with regard to structural findings, versus with, you know, whether they have pain or the degree to their pain, or whether changes in those structures through some manipulation or surgery will actually solve the problem. Yeah, it's really, 
it's a real big challenge and it's it's hard on our end as healthcare professionals because we like to be able to have somebody come in and examine them and have a really clear idea about what interventions are going to be most effective for this person and what their potential prognosis is. But it's it, it's very difficult to subcategorize people. So we end up looking at them very generally and just say people with low back pain. Or we might categorize it as a person with primarily back pain, so back dominant pain, or primarily leg dominant pain. And we might separate them there because some individuals will have lots of leg pain that's coming from something in their back. And so when we do that, we can get a little idea of prognosis, but what we found is that individuals who stay as active as they can and who really have a good attitude about their back pain and really just look at, um, not letting it become uh, take over their lives and just really kind of fight back and stay moving, do the best. I want to talk about treatment, <clears throat> excuse me, and prognosis. Prognosis meaning what will happen to them over time. Yeah. So what are the risk factors that are playing a role in terms of who or are there? I mean, obviously you're saying that you, there's not a one-to-one -one ratio between structural changes or structural abnormalities and pain. So then who are the people who are most likely to experience, in your experience, experience back pain? Obviously, we said 80% of the population, yeah. but what are the things that kind of lead to that? So that's another another great question, but it's another tough one. And, you know, there's been lots of thoughts that maybe there's things like posture is a problem. And that made a lot of sense, that if you're in a certain posture, that maybe that puts extra strain and stress on the back, and that could be a problem. But when we've done studies on it, it's really found that you know, individuals of all different types of posture have back pain. And it makes it very challenging because so many people have back pain. So even people with so-called good posture might still have yeah, back pain. Yeah, they have just as much back pain as people with that so-called bad posture. How about things, and I, and I found a laundry list of these kinds of things, admittedly on the internet, but how about things like depression or anxiety or smoking or obesity for that matter? That's a great question. And um, if we look at back pain a little in, in two categories as acute back pain and chronic back pain. So acute back pain is kind of the back pain that just happened. I might have woken up and my back sore and it goes away over a couple days. And that's the back pain that as researchers we're moving away from a little bit because we know that really is not what costs us a lot as a society and as individuals. That, that usually goes away, but a small percentage of those individuals will switch over to having what we call chronic pain. And this is pain that's lasting much longer than it should given the injury that they've had. So it might be lasting for months or even years in some very um, rare cases. And what we've started to look at away from these ideas that there's some kind of structural thing is more some psychosocial factors that play a major role in somebody becoming or turning into having chronic pain. So things like you mentioned, depression. There's been several studies that have really connected depression as a big risk factor for developing chronic pain. There's also things like fear. There's this model called fear avoidance that we talk about. And some individuals get a great amount of fear when they have back pain and then they start avoiding activity. And that ends up leading to more pain down the road and longer pain. Where a person who doesn't have as much fear and just says, I'm going to keep moving and not quite as worried about their pain 
ends up doing better. How about something like age, though? It seems like young children generally don't suffer from back pain. So would you agree that if you look at a so-called risk factor, that as we age, the chances are greater that we will experience some back pain? I mean, I don't know if teenagers you know, have chronic back pain, for example. You know, when they do studies, it's actually surprising how often kids have back pain as well. Really? Um, but I think I do agree that it does seem to be um, more common as we get older. And, and the actual type of back pain that we get changes some as we age and different, there's different categories that happen more often in, per, in people in different age groups. So as you mentioned, there are certain structural problems that we can point to like a herniated disc or um, a ruptured disc, for that matter, as the source. But you're saying that it's not always a one-to-one. It isn't. You know, we, we have to do what you call clinically correlate the symptoms. So if you take an MRI and you see a disc herniation, say at L5 on the right, and the person comes in and they have left-sided symptoms, well, that doesn't correlate very well to the findings. So it gives you a little more confidence that maybe that's not important. But if they do have right-sided pain, and if, say, that disc maybe is putting a little bit of irritation onto the L5 nerve root, well, that's a nerve root that goes down into your leg, and it feeds certain areas for sensation and strength. So then we can test you, and we can say if that particular area that L5 goes to is also weak and also has some numbness, that really helps us to pull together to say, all right, it makes sense that this disc herniation we're seeing on the MRI is causing these symptoms. It gives us more confidence in that. So it really is kind of on a case-by-case basis to really um, understand with what you're looking at. And actually, that's a great bridge for me into how you diagnose back pain. I mean, you've already alluded to things like an MRI. What are the types of modalities that are most commonly used today to determine what might be an underlying cause for back pain? The vast majority of cases, if you look at most of the guidelines that are out there, and these are recommendations put out by professional organizations, the vast majority of people who have back pain do not need imaging. They don't need x-rays and they don't need MRIs. Unless there's something in their history or their physical exam that maybe suggests that there could be something more worrisome going on. But really, as far as diagnosing and classifying, it's about spending a a lot of time talking with the patient and finding out about what's going on and then doing a good physical exam and watching them move and looking at their strength and things like their reflexes and sensation if need be, and also putting them in categories of age as well can help figure out what are things that are most common. For instance, a person who's who's older, say in their over 60, have a a lower chance of this being an acute disc herniation because the discs are a little more dried up at that age and they're not as as prone to prone to herniation. But they might be more apt to have what we call stenosis, which is a narrowing of the spaces where the nerves run. And that can sometimes cause some irritation on the nerves. So those kind of things all put together. And if somebody is 
is having signs like a lot of numbness or weakness, or if they have what we call non-mechanical back pain, which is back pain that doesn't necessarily change when they move or in certain positions, those are usually people that we want to go and get imaging on sooner because it could be indicating that there's something other than just the normal back pain that's going on. Perhaps something like a tumor, perhaps, yeah, or something. Yeah, that can of that happen. It's, again, it's rare, but that can that can occur. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with physical therapist Dr. Adam Rufa. We're talking about back pain and what to do about it. Um, Jesus, so much to talk about. Would you think, or do we have access to something like a an MRI that can watch? motion. It always struck me that when you're taking still images about a functional problem, that you're really more at risk to making wrong assumptions. Is that in the in the future? Does it exist currently that somebody could be actually imaging someone in motion to determine that functionality? We, we do. There is some technology out there that's been mostly used on a research basis and less... Um, in a clinical setting. There are um, x-ray tech technologies that allow us to look at some, some motion while they're doing it. But with, with MRI and CT scan, it's a little more difficult. And there is some technology out there, but really just in the research setting, and it's, it's pretty expensive. Would you think that might be a help down the road? It may be. It may be. I, we'll have to see where as we get more research, it does seem to be that we're moving a little bit away from this structural thoughts. And we've spent a lot of time and a lot of money going down that route with research, and it really hasn't turned out a lot of great information. But it is exciting to think about looking at these things differently, because it'd be really helpful if we could find something like that that gave us some insight. And even as simply as now MRIs, people tend to have them laying down. And you think about it, the pressures on our back are much different when we're laying down than when we're standing. Absolutely. So I think even the first step might be starting to get MRI machines and other mach in, in CT machines that allow us to take some images standing up, which are out there, but more in a research capacity. Very interesting. So very quickly, again, I don't want to run out of time. Who's, able, who's best able then to diagnose back pain, given what you said? I mean, are we looking at an, you know, an orthopod? Are we looking at a chiropractor? Are we looking at a, an osteopath or, or a doctor of physical therapy? I, I don't know that there's one particular profession that, that owns this low back pain. Um, there's been a lot of evidence out there coming recently that the sooner you get into care by a physical therapist, and I'm a little biased, that people end up doing better. They, we spend mess, less money overall, and recovery happens faster. So I'm a big proponent to getting to a good physical therapist as soon as you can. And it might be the first person you see, or it might be after you get uh, you go to a physician. Um, but yeah, chiropractors are in, orthopedic surgeons. I think though most of the time, you don't need to see an orthopedic surgeon right off. Most people do not need surgery for low back pain, and that's what they're really good at. They're really good at doing surgery. So a lot of times, staying more conservative with your general practitioner or a physical therapist or a chiropractor or something like that, I think is the way to go initially. And as you said, I, I, again, I, I, so much to talk about and so little time right now, but you don't want to, you basically want to treat acute differently than chronic. Very briefly, acute, what do you generally do? Acute is all about 
as little rest as you need to take. So you want to go easy to a certain degree, but you also don't want to stop. You want to stay as active as possible. And with chronic, sometimes people need a little more help. And a lot of times it's good to get a, a multidisciplinary approach where you have people who may be a pain specialist who are looking at different medications, maybe even getting a psychologist or a psychiatrist involved to help deal with a lot of the psychosocial things that occur when you're in chronic pain. And it's this kind of chicken and egg thing that people who have things like depression are more likely to have chronic pain. But also, once you have chronic pain, it can it's, lead. Yeah, it's really hard to, to deal with all those so things. So, even things like CBT, cognitive yes. behavioral therapy could be of help, psychotherapy could be of help. Surgery, you're saying, is not often of help. And there's this whole failed back syndrome that you have yeah. to worry about. Just briefly in the end, so what, just give us your, you know, kind of overarching principle then in terms of what to do if you have let's say chronic back pain because acute sounds to me is something that you want to kind of just maybe even wait out but stay moving yeah and I think chronic pain is very similar in that really try to switch the mentality to letting the pain control you from the letting patient. it yeah to, you. don't let the pain control you you start controlling the pain and really staying active and taking a very active approach to the treatment is important um, and and it's, it really is very different for each individual, but, but taking a positive attitude and, and staying in, in exercising as much as possible, I think is, are the keys. So the help of a physician, perhaps with medications, and at the same time, a physical therapist can really help move you through these different stages. Yes. Fabulous. Thank you so very much for coming in. My guest has been Dr. Adam Rufa. He's assistant professor in the College of Health Professions at Upstate Medical University and a doctor of physical therapy. Once again, I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.